Hello folks, I'm Lillian Crawford, a freelance film critic and historian focusing on women and post-war British cinema. Welcome to the second season of the Listen to Lillian podcast, part of an ongoing blog I've recently set up on Substack to develop my research on my own terms. Simply go to listentolillian.substack.com to subscribe for a bumper crop of reviews, essays and feature articles. Each episode I invite my guests to select a British film to discuss, from the silent era to recent releases. All I ask is they pick a film they think is particularly interesting in its representation of female characters or its approach to queer subject matter. For this episode I've invited filmmaker Sophie Rambari to talk to me about Derek Charman's last film, Blue. Here's a trailer. I fill this room with the echo of many voices who passed time here. Voices unlocked from the blue of the long dried paint. Sun comes and floods this empty room. I call it my room. My room. My room has welcomed many summers. Embraced laughter and tears. Can it fill itself with your laughter? Each word a sunbeam, glancing in the light. This is the song of my room. Hello. William. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm doing well, thank you. I'm, I'm so grateful to you for agreeing to do this. Um, I know it's, it's a bit, it's a bit of a strange request. Some, some people don't know what film to pick or will pick, like, send me about 15 films that they want to talk about. And it's like, no, just one. <laughs> um, but you, you've yeah. chosen, you've chosen one of my favorite films so I'm grateful to you for that. I'm glad I'm glad it is one of your favorites because I certainly don't feel like I'm an expert on you know queer British cinema but or absolutely not this film either but I am always interested in in talking about film but I just uh, the caveat of you know I think whenever I'm on a podcast there's always a self-expectation that I should be an expert on whatever it is that I'm talking about. No, 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 absolutely not. And I, I think what's so nice about this film is that it, it serves as a springboard to so many 
other things and, and things we can talk about. And I think the value of having a filmmaker like yourself doing this is, is that you can sort of, you, you can look at it from a filmmaker's perspective and like, yeah, it would be great to talk about some of your own films as well. And like what, mm -hmm. what, how this sort of film would um, influence you or, or if it's the sort of thing you would avoid um, because it's, 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 it's a very unique film. Um, what's your relationship with it? Have you, uh, how had you heard of it before, um, before doing um, this? I had heard about it quite a while ago, just in sort of diving more into nonfiction work myself. I think it's just come up in a lot of different conversations. Um, and I'm always really interested in any film that um, really challenges what a film can be and what a film is. And this is obviously like a, uh, one of the best examples, really. Um, you know, I, I can't think of anything that's that does challenge that in quite an um, overt way um, to the point at which, you know, I think the reactions to it are generally from my understanding like very strong very emotional reactions or you have the polar opposite of people who watch this and say this is on a film right. you know people yeah. who decide just based on their preconception of what a film is they can't they can't it like breaks their <laughs> breaks their conception of what a film is and mm -hmm. I think that's just like a sign of something that's truly like a, a monumental um, piece of art is when you're looking at it uh, or if someone looks at it and they can't actually place it in the box that they had previously constructed for a film. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah. So definitely it did that. It did that for me. Um, <laughs> so I yeah, had heard about it. And um, when you asked me to pick a film, I had the, yeah, initially it was like, I had just drawn such a blank. I was like, Oh, what's specifically I could dive into. And then, it occurred to me this is a perfect time to finally watch this and so I watched yeah. it uh actually I watched it twice I watched it twice I watched it last night and I watched it again this morning mm. and it was interesting watching it once at night and then once during the day actually Very right different. yeah in, in what way did that impact how you how you viewed it so yeah I watched it I, I waited last night to watch it until it was uh dark out because I felt you know I, I knew that I knew the concept that it was just an uh unflinching blue screen so I figured yeah. it should be really dark to watch that yeah. and I still found watching it you know I, I watched it on my on my tv alone in my living room and I was like this will be the perfect setting for this mm -hmm. but I definitely felt after watching it that it's something that um really really needs to be seen in a cinema and right. really yeah. be, you know in a space where you're you know even though I had blacked out my curtains and it was as dark yeah. as possible still mm -hmm. felt like just seeing things in my apartment were a distraction to me yeah. and I really would love to see it when it you know see it and hear it in a, in a space that is really that's the entire purpose yeah I, I think that like whenever I watch it or whenever I think about it I, I think that the best place to see it would be like in a room where all four walls are like screens and it's just that blue um and then you've got yeah. the sound coming all around you I think that would be it in that sense yeah I, I, I think I think you're right in a, a, a cinema would would achieve that and I also think where it's been shown in galleries and things as an art piece I think that also could work really nicely I heard there's actually a VR version of it as well 
that would work yeah. as well. That's a great idea. <laughs> yeah, that would be really interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, I, and then when I watched it today during the day with the light, I it was much more that I was focusing on the words. The words, um, yeah. Because the blue didn't really, um, you know, wash over you the same way in the light. Mm. So I think I kind of had the audio experience separate from the visual experience the second time just because I felt like I was, I had such a in and out experience the first time. Like I would close my eyes sometimes, um, sort of in a, like a meditative state. Yeah. And actually it's funny, the, the sound, the sound of like the bell or the chime that goes off. I, <laughs> I once had a therapist that would do that at the beginning and end of every session. They would create that sound with like a little mm-hmm. metal bowl and it was their way of kind of creating a safe space around the session. Mm. So whenever that sound would happen, I would like come to because it would <laughs> reminded me of those moments. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I wonder if that was uh, if that's why it's there. I, I don't know. I think it's I think it's really beautiful. I think it does sort of announce that we're going into a very specific space, and and it invites you into that. And as you say, it also sort of snaps you out of it when. When the film ends um yeah, yeah it, it's, it's almost like um hypnosis in a way mm. like you're getting deeper and deeper and deeper into this experience as it goes um mm. but yeah i definitely i definitely felt a desire you know obviously i haven't seen anything in a movie theater in over a year now <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's funny to watch a film like this. I mean, this is the one I want to see in a film in a theater, like after not having seen anything. But I think there are a lot of films that I've watched at home, um, and I felt like it was fine. But yeah, I mean, there's so much. There's so many different paths that we could take to talk about this. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, and I, 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 th- I think just talking about like the right way to watch this film is is interesting because um, I mean the the original it was originally shown on on channel four in the UK. Um, and then the sound was on the radio, on radio three. So it was, um, they wanted it to be a sort of stereo soundscape around you that wasn't coming from the screen itself, from the a 1993 television set that most people would have had in their homes. So yeah, it's, it's interesting because the first, I remember the first time I saw it, I think was just on, on TV, I had a Blu-ray copy of it and we don't have like surround sound or anything. So it was like just coming from the TV. When I watched it um, earlier today again, I have my headphones in and it just sounds so different. It should be coming sort of out from outside. It's like, because if we're experiencing it as sort of Jarman's idea of blindness, mm-hmm. it heightens your awareness of those sounds. How did you find like the sound design of the film? I mean, I really, I love, I love any film that um, has a heightened soundscape that is not actually happening in tandem with the visual. And I think that, um, well, obviously in this case, it's not. And I think it's a really interesting way to kind of recontextualize what you're seeing and not necessarily lining it up with what you're hearing. And actually watching the film made me think a lot about, I took a, I took a class in my master's yeah, about locative media. And um, it was really interesting learning about uh, technology, about, you know, just being in a space and then having the audio experience be recontextualized based on like what space you're in. And watching this film felt very much like that because 
obviously we're not in this, we're not even seeing the spaces that are being recontextualized for us based on the narrative or the dialogue that's yeah. being spoken. And, and I think, uh, you know, films are generally very bound to their locations and to their images. Whereas this, you can really be transposed to any space and, yeah. and still have the same experience. So it's very like unifying in that way. It completely voids, voids and avoids like representation while also being like the most thoroughly representative uh, film of the, of the experience of the, you know, of the, of the experience of the characters and, and of the, that, that particular time in history. And it's just incredible that I can do that without ever showing a single image. Yeah. Cause with like, yeah. with locative media, you're walking, you're generally walking around in a space um, where you're interacting with, with uh, like real social triggers and you're having sort of a physical experience brought on by the audio. Like I've done even just like something like a, a tour around like a museum where you have a headset on mm-hmm. and you're kind of being guided through the experience. It felt kind of similar in that way that you're really being guided through something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think I think that in some ways it's one of the most visually evocative films because you are do- your, your mind is doing all of that visualization. Um, maybe that's because I have quite a strong capacity for that. I know that some people watch this and they can't see anything, but like, I don't know. I, th- I think there's something about sort of staring into that blue screen and, and hearing those, those sounds is not just the narration, but also like the sounds of sort of the cafe and, and um, in particular, the sound of wind and sea, which um, I live in Kent and, and fairly near to where Jarman lived in Dungeness. And I, I go there quite quite often and love walking along the coast fair and it's 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 just so desolate because it's like <laughs> there's nothing there um other than his his cottage and and the sea so yeah I'm immediately transported there but I suppose what's quite nice is that you could be transported to any sort of coastal it's interesting hearing those 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 sounds now I think as like um particularly like the busy cafe and things and the sort of yeah. the and the sounds of the hospital and lots of people it's like it conjures up images that perhaps we've almost already forgotten because they, they feel so it's so far in the past particularly interesting time to engage with the those spaces like visually because yeah I think we have become a little bit blind to them now because we've been yeah. uh, you know removed from them for so long one of the quotes that I wrote down from the film is that I have to come to terms with my sightlessness. Yeah. Also <laughs> the one I wrote down because it's, 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 it's like, it's that's the whole thing is this sort of like artistic therapy. It's, it reminds me of like the very famous anecdote of Beethoven, like coming to terms with his deafness and like writing down, I am deaf, then getting on with creating music and, and, and the fact that he, Jarman's able to sort of accept that, and still make a film like this is quite remarkable. Yes, yeah, and it, it also it's interesting you said earlier that you have a very strong visual um, like imagination. And it's funny because the film works both if you have that and then you're able to imagine what you're hearing, but it also works if you're not able to because yeah. 
both really lend itself to like a very strong sense of empathy because mm-hmm. either you're seeing nothing in the same way that Jarman wasn't or you're seeing yeah. what he could have or, or might have seen had he been able mm-hmm. to so you're really getting yeah. you know but it works it very brilliantly kind of works both ways mm-hmm. um, unless you're not willing to engage <laughs> then, yeah yeah it's yeah. it's in, it's interesting about like that level of engagement because I am there was trouble with funding with this um even for someone who you know was sort of in in britain was very much sort of the avant-garde filmmaker who was being funded by channel 4 in in the late 80s early 90s and when he proposed this film it was not about aids really at all it was about eve klein and he wanted the color blue but then they said no no one will watch that so we need to have it sort of like uh, have you seen Jarman's other films? No, I haven't. So a lot of his bio, like historical biopic type films are sort of in very enclosed theatre spaces with his usual cast of actors sort of acting out the lives of people. Nigel Terry, John Quentin and um, Tilda Swinton, who all do the voices along with Jarman in, in this film, often in his films. And it was going to be one of those sorts of films. And it was as they were working on that, that it, it just became more and more about, about him and, and, and his own experience with, I, th- I think what it, what it became, it's so much more than what it was originally intended to be. I think if it, if it was just a film about Klein, perhaps it wouldn't um, still be as celebrated as it, as it is now i was just saying i could see it being a difficult film to pitch to a funder (laughs) i'm sure you uh, yeah (laughs) yeah it would be it would be tough um and i don't think i don't think anyone else could have i don't know maybe it's it's interesting because thinking about like the artworks that are going to come out of covid and the things that people are sort of experimenting with you know there's been a lot of films that are sort of people interacting as we are now via zoom and you know having those kinds of kinds of exchanges it's 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 interesting what someone would produce as an artwork to sort of capture an illness or or an epidemic in the way that the jarman does where it's like all his friends his his former partners his um those discussions of like the side effects of the medication and the, the very visceral descriptions of, of of illness, which thinking of other representations of of, of AIDS, I mean the, the main one that this sort of makes me think of as a dramatic contrast is Tony Kushner's Angels in America, which is like so mm-hmm. vis- it's visually huge and operatic and 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 so incredibly long as like a theatre piece and this is like the complete opposite it's just completely stripped down um sorry yes. I, I'm yeah. waffling on but <laughs> what, what do you what do you think of that I think yeah I think um it's it definitely gives you a very strong argument toward how limiting or enhancing a sensory experience can be really impactful there's a way in which you can do so much visually and then have very little impact or you can do very little visually and have a huge impact and I think for me it's been proven so many times and will probably be proven to me a million more times that a strong point of view is so much more interesting than you know a lot of money Um, 
<laughs> or like a, a big, a big budget or a production value and all these things that we've kind of come to uh, conflate with quality um, are just so uninteresting when it comes to, if you don't have a, a strong personal point of view, this film is just like a really, a really raw, perfect example of that because he's taken something incredibly personal, but not made it specifically about himself and also but also has made it so, so specific to a sort of universal experience that he can speak to that it's like undeniable that you can watch this and not understand what that experience was. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so many ways that you can do or tell these the story and have it be just so generic and, and have no impact. And yeah, I just, I think about that a lot when I, when I think about what kinds of films I'm interested in, what kind of films I try to make is just yeah. films that are very specific to like a particular point of view those are that's that's kind of what it comes down to like people yeah. are like what genre do you like i'm like i like strong point of view genre because <laughs> that can really be across all mm. all genres and all kinds of films and across all ages and it's just you know i'm not really i'm not really talking about like auteurism it's like it's it mm. can be outside of that you know, there are films that are much more collaborative um, or not necessarily director driven that still have a strong point of view. But although, I, I mean, I, I, as I do understand it, this film was very collaborative. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all, Just, of, all, of, his, all of his films are um, made in that way where it's like, he'd sort of get a notebook and write down ideas as and when they came and then that would be the film that they would make and they would make it together and it's it's so what's so beautiful about this film is that you hear the voices of the people who have sort of played really quite prominent roles in those films particularly Tilda Swinton um who's mm -hmm. who's sort of his his muse in his other films I suppose and, and here quite literally she like takes on his voice almost in, in sort of reading mm -hmm. some of the poetry she's not in it much she's um but it's it's so meditative and almost therapeutic hearing those voices I I one of my favorite my favorite albums to listen to is Max Richter's Blue Notebooks which Tilda Swinton narrates and it's just like it's a very similar sort of effect of like sound um sound of a typewriter clacking and and, and her narrating and then this beautiful very calm music coming through as well um it's about Derek Jarman but it's it's trying to tap into an experience of an awful lot of other men and women who are going through similar experiences and it's it's also pulling on sort of his creative history and and, and his creative life and the people who who he's worked with and who he's loved and who he's 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 sort of interacted with as as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. um yeah I, I I think it's that's what makes it so so moving if it was just sort of you know him talking without any mm -hmm. of those other aspects I'm not sure it would quite be as powerful as as, as it would be if it was just him on his own I don't, I don't I don't know yeah yeah he really he really um captures that time in history as well it's very specific to the time, but it's because of that, I think it, that's why it has that sort of timelessness that we're experiencing now going through COVID. Um, you know, you can, you can, you can, the emotions are very 
literal, but they're also very um, transformative. Like you can transpose them into different experiences as well. I, I, it did also make me think about, I don't know if you know the project by Terence Davies, the of city of time and city, obviously Terence Davies, another queer British filmmaker, but I, I found uh, this project when I was doing the locative media class uh, because really what it was about was trying to capture a very specific time in history in Liverpool and have it be from multiple points of view to create a much more comprehensive uh, idea of what Liverpool or of what Liverpool is, but from the points of view of like amateur filmmakers, of newsreels, of, of everything in between professional to, to amateur and to really try to capture what a space is. And I think, I mean, Terence Davies' films are some of my favorite films. They're so, um, they're so able to tap into like a sort of existential, <laughs> I don't know, just their, their, their emotionality of them are just so intense and so extreme. So it's interesting to see that, to see him collaborate on something like this that is so humble and, uh, you know, trying to engage with people on a very basic level, just trying to capture this this moment in history. And I don't know, I think one of the films I was considering bringing up was, um, oh no, I'm forgetting the title. I mean, all of his films have been really, really powerful. Are you are you a Terrence Davies fan? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think my, my favorite one is um, Long Day Closes, which which I think in, in that and Distant Voices Still Lives are quite similar in the to, to to blue i mean in, in the, the in the way that they use sound and songs and 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 um the sort of that very playful use of diegesis in a way where you don't quite know where sounds are coming from they overlap and they they sort of something which i think you do very effectively in a lot of your films as well where like you'll be hearing things while looking at something that doesn't quite add up to it it's almost like it's sort of both beneath and on top of the surface of, of the image and it surrounds it to create multiple layers, which I think cinema is able to do so uniquely by contrast to, to other art forms. And I think that Terence Davis does that in a way where, you know, the visual image is very imposing. Whereas what's, what's quite striking about Blue is that, that that element of the film, of those films isn't there. It's just sort of the poetry and and the um, and the music and and the soundscape. Yeah, a quiet passion, which one of my favorite films that I've seen in the last five or ten, you know, yeah, maybe the last ten years. It's one of my favorites, and it's just such a. Uh, it gave me like some of the most intense like existential dread that I've <laughs> experienced watching a movie, just because it really it really captures the feeling of dying. Right. Um, yeah. In a way that I think very few films dare to like it really it really leans into her experience of, of her fear um, of dying. And I think that that's what, that, that was the connection for me watching Blue and then what, and then thinking about Terrence Davies as well and Quiet Passion. It's just this really, like you're in the end, like what you're really watching is, or listening to and watching is someone dying. Yeah. And it's, it's on the surface, it's, it's very, um, still and beautiful, but it's so uh, it's so t it's also very terrifying. Yeah, and I think that 
yeah, quiet passion just does that so, so beautifully and terrifyingly accurate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, and, and obviously that's like what most of your films sort of approach is like processing death and, and both in the past and, and death that, that might be coming. Um, be that with humans or dogs and, and and in this case it's the same thing of like how do we deal with that with that inevitable part of life and when it might come sooner than we expect or later or you know it's it's it, it's the uncertainty of it that makes that so emotionally powerful I think like Jarman didn't know when how long he had when he was making this film um, I think I think it was he died two two months after it premiered. I think I'm not. I'm not sure. It was around the same time. He he. It was very, it was the last thing that he he was able wow. to to make. Yeah. So it's yeah. And 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 as as you get the impression from from the words and and his writing and in in describing his illness, it's all very uncertain, and you don't know what effect it's going to have and how other people are going to respond to that um, yes. when it does happen. Mm. Yeah, I think in my, in, in the work that I'm interested in, and I guess, yeah, like you've mentioned in my own work, I do have sort of a fascination with the anticipation of death mm -hmm. and the acknowledgement of it being something that is anticipated. And, and I think, uh, you know, it's not necessarily the most comfortable thing for people to address. And, yeah. and uh, I really believe in, in trying to, look quite squarely in the eye of those uh harder topics and and you know in, in any small way that i can in my own work uh do that and i think you know i don't see any <laughs> I, I i would definitely not say that i see a connection between my work and, and blue it's uh it's but i do see it did make me think about my own work in terms of really trying to focus in on like a the emotion, the emotionality of, of, of an experience rather than the physicality. Because I think I do try to depict very interior uh, experiences, even though they are films and you're meant to really externalize. That's a big part yeah. of, uh, you know, what you're always taught in film school is like, how do you externalize an experience rather than uh, have it internal dialogue? And I try to avoid both those things. I try to avoid being too external and I also try to avoid um you know depicting things that are maybe more obvious physically and and have them appear through more uh emotional moods and and spaces um so I think that's something that was really inspiring about watching this film is just his ability to to do that and you know if you can do it with just one color, then you can do it with just a few elements. And I think mm -hmm. I try to work with as few elements as possible. Part of that is, you know, budgetary restrictions. I've, all my films have been non non budget films essentially. So I've I've always worked sort of within my means. But I think that's mm -hmm. been to my benefit in a lot of ways, because the more you add to any project, is the more options for um, overwhelming your your instincts and I try to really hone in on my instincts with my work yeah. and and really focus on just 
the one emotion or the one experience that I'm trying to, to, to show. And if you start adding more and more, it's like, I find that that's where I start to make mistakes or not really follow my vision for, for a project, which is something I'm really grappling with right now in terms of writing my first feature. I'm, I'm starting to develop and it's just, uh, it's a whole, I really have become quite comfortable in the short film world. <laughs> and I really love making short films and I probably will continue to make them as well. But I do, I do want to mm-hmm. at least try <laughs> to make a feature. Yeah. Um, but because I'm so interested in these like smaller moments and emotional spaces and it, you know, I can also lean into like the vagueness sometimes in my work, I think in a way that works for a short form, I'm trying to see how I can apply that to a feature and to engage, to engage people for that amount of time. And again, I guess, yeah, watching, watching Blue, which is a a feature length film and which managed to engage me without doing a whole lot visually. (laughs) It's, it's, It's also, it's just, it's always really affirming to see work that does that. Um, yeah. And this is the most you know, extreme version of that maybe, but it's, yeah, it's just, it, it's uh, just my own insecurity of trying to engage someone for that amount of time. It's like, how could I have enough to say for an hour and a half to get someone right. to just sit and, you know, whereas I, I think that I, I've kind of become comfortable with the small, the small bits and pieces of time, yeah. but now I need to really find a way to link them all together. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of it as just, several short films mm-hmm. uh, stitched together. <laughs> yeah, that, that, well, it's inter- in, in, that's interesting. Have you, have you seen Jarman's early short films? No, I'm, I'm planning to dive into them now that I've seen Yeah, I, I, I would, because especially the sort of, the idea of like stitching together short films is what Jarman loved doing with his early films. Um, so he made loads of Super 8 millimeter films which are really gorgeous and really visually impressive um most of them don't have any sound at all it's just the images and sort of you know um the landscape and 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 playing with different lens filters and things on in and film Mm -hmm. which is really interesting and then he made a film called in the shadow of the sun which is like a sort of collation of those those short films Um, another one called the angelic conversation which is very similar um, and he makes these sort of like, I don't know how to describe, I suppose they're, they're sort of like co- film collages. They're about 18, 18, 19 minutes feature length, but they're like, they're, they'll be narration. And then they'll be, it's like blue, but you've got the images as well on the screen. Um, and then a final film that came out that was that was sort of put together just after after his death and it was and his, his last film that gets sort of, a release is called Glitterbug, which again is is doing that that sort of that sort of thing. So it's it's worth um, yeah. I think if you're interested in yeah how you sort of take short films and like put them together into into a feature, because I do, you know I think I think there's a lot of it, very good examples of where films have been based on short films. It's interesting to see feature films that are sort of almost made up of those those short films. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'd recommend <laughs> take, taking a look at those. Um, and it's yes. particularly interesting how vivid like the colors are in those 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 films in particular um where like shooting on 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 film as he did really shows up those 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 colors and I can't I was trying to think earlier because I think you know blue is very much what most people associate with Jarman and it's a color that 
is associated with him because of this film, but it's yeah. not a colour that's that prominent in his films before this. It's mostly sort of oranges and greens and, and, mm. and reds. It's not really blues, which is interesting that that's like, you know, the colour that's sort of associated with him. He wrote a really excellent yeah. book called Chroma, which, which mm. I'd also recommend looking at like colour and, 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 and um, writing poetry on different colours. And it's, yeah, I, I think the, the first half of this film where like the character is blue and it's talking about blue in all its different forms and um, almost sort of personifying that colour is really interesting. It's like a contrast to what he's done previously. It's like, right, this is the colour that I'm now seeing. I have to grapple with this colour. Like, um, yeah. Yeah, I guess it really um, shows that a very distinct shift in his own visual experience of the world. Like like you said, that his earlier work was focused on these much brighter, you know, happier actually colours. Mm. And then this film, yeah, he had to, uh, he had to come to terms with the blindness that, you know, we ex- that I mean, the, I, I think the experience of closing your eyes while watching this film is really interesting because it, mm-hmm. the blue really comes through your eyelids, even though you're in front of the screen, your eyes closed, it, it bleeds through. It's inescapable. I mean, it sounds silly to ask you, like, what's your relationship with with color? I, su- I suppose I'm thinking in particular of like, in still processing, where you've got those really gorgeous shots where like. The, the green the greens and and the sort of pink shots as well and like the dark room but, um yeah well how, how do you approach like those sorts of like washed out one color like monochrome type um shots we're still processing a particular color and um and physical space was really determined by trying to create the most distinct sort of contrast between the spaces that I was in and the photographs that I was looking at Mm. Um, because you know my um, my dad's photography was very distinct and um, you know visually like the black and white is very unlike the film that I put them in and I wanted that to really be contrasting Um, and again I was using sort of the means that I had, which was York University where I was doing my master's. And I I never thought in the time that I was, you would never think going to that campus that it would be really a great place to shoot because it's quite quite brutalist. And, you know, there's not necessarily the best visual sense, but I found just these, these little areas that the angles and the light and the, um, the color that came through could really feel quite almost from the future in a way and I, th- I think it really suited the um the idea that I was trying to get across in that film is forward thinking forward and thinking to to moving on and moving past um rather than lingering on lingering on the past mm-hmm. uh, so it felt appropriate to kind of have those things be in, in, in juxtaposition with each other yeah. um but also to be looking at those things within those spaces. Um, and also because we were always shooting uh, with practical lighting and, and, and we never really had any film lights on set. So that 
often really just lends itself organically to to interesting lighting like the um dark room scene i was really so i was it was such a relief that we could actually shoot that literally in the dark room like we didn't fake it or anything we were able to just because of the way that digital cameras now have a super sensitive sensor and are able to pick up with very little light we were able to shoot the actual uh process of the the photographic image appearing which I don't think you you know 10 years ago you might have been able to do yeah just that's why you know I do love celluloid I love watching films shot on film but for the work that I've been doing digital has been so important because of the way the way that I shoot is often trying to depict something happening for the first time and it's much more difficult and expensive to do that on film so I was able to shoot for like 45 minutes at a time and to not have to worry about it. Yeah. Um, what, I, what I love about doing these, these I did one with um, Isabel Sandoval a few weeks ago and um, mm-hmm. it was like, oh, we're, we're watching Tony Scott's The Hunger and I was like watching it and just like trying to like, so it, it's strange how I was uniquely watching it, sort of thinking about her films, and, and in the same way, watching watching Blue again now, and sort of think, having your films in, in in mind at the same time. It's like it's really interesting to sort of. I don't think there's an extent to which I can sort of put my myself in like the mindset of someone else, but it's just like comparisons that perhaps I wouldn't normally make were being brought out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's why why I think I, I'm perhaps <laughs> making make, making more comparisons between Blue and, and your films than perhaps you know you would otherwise, really, uh, or, or are really there. Um, yeah. yeah. So I, I hope you don't mind me me doing no, that. No, I, mean, yeah. I, I didn't even I didn't even realize how um, predictable I was being picking a film about grief <laughs> or death. <laughs> it didn't occur to me. I just I just it was something that had always been on my radar. Um, but yeah. yeah, thematically, you know, it's definitely not uh, a wild, <laughs> a wild pick in some ways. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess you're just you're drawn to what you're drawn to, even if it's not um, mm. similar. I, I find that most of the films that I'm interested in, or that I am inspired by, or that I like, are very d- dissimilar from my own work. Um, yeah, very rarely have I been able to watch a film and feel very directly inspired mm. by it and think, oh, I want to do something like that. Right. Or I want to make something that is uh, doing something similar to this film. And I'm not trying to say, oh, I have only original ideas. I'm, <laughs> you know, you are always absorbing and you're always recreating and recontextualizing things you've seen before. But I think it's very um, rare that I, I feel super directly influenced by, by something that I've seen, at least in a con- on a conscious level, like yeah. when I was yeah. preparing to make a still processing, because I had done it in my master's, I had a lot of time to really research and, and watch lots of work before I had made it. And I built a sort of um, self-directed study where I had watched just as many autobiographical films about um, photography and familial trauma and grief and all these uplifting works. <laughs> um, I, I definitely found the experience uh, helpful, but not in the way that I was like, oh, these are 
similar to what I want to make. Most of the time it was like, oh, I, de- I definitely don't want to do that. Right. You know, I want to avoid this or I, you know, or that, that really worked for me. Um, but it's not going to make sense for this film. And sometimes it was something like, oh, this film is extremely personal in a way that I'm actually not able to engage with. How can I avoid that in my film? Or do I need to avoid that? And, you know, just asking questions about, um, yeah, oftentimes I think it's, it's probably common that you are more motivated by or inspired by work that actually uh, maybe you, that you don't like or are not connected with because it helps you whittle down what it is that you are trying to do and what you actually want to, to make. Um, so yeah, I always, I always recommend to filmmakers when you're trying to get inspired, don't try to watch things that are similar to your work because it's not necessarily going to ignite your motivation the way you think it might be. Like most of the time, the films that inspire me are films that are um, just very quiet and meditative and kind of like allow you that space to let your mind wander and and they're visually very um, evocative, but you're not even engaging necessarily with specifically what's happening. Yeah, I think, and in this film, is, uh, Blue is obviously a, a great example of that because you do drift in and out. It's, it's yes. impossible yes. to stare directly at the blue screen and engage with every word for the entire runtime, uh, especially if you're watching it at home. I think if you were in a cinema, it'd be easier. But there was definitely moments where I caught myself thinking about film but then thinking about another film and then thinking about COVID and then you know it just kind of lets your mind dart around. Yeah and I I think I think that's what it's it wants you to do. I don't I don't think it necessarily needs you to sort of hang on every word because it's it's trans it's transportative but not necessarily everyone will be transported to exactly the same place and that's what it mm-hmm the openness of that of that blue screen really allows um is is for you to sort of be taken to to different places I mean what it really reminds me of when he's talking about like the the sort of like the clouds and and going out like that is like early therapy that I would have had like uh as 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 a teenager and then perhaps later on with some of the stuff like dealing with trauma and and um going to counseling sessions and stuff and it'll be like we're they gonna try we're gonna try to like go to like a safe space or like a different place and it was I think I think I perhaps watched this film at quite at a time in my life when I hadn't really processed a lot of the the trauma I'd experienced and I I think it was quite it's quite yeah it's just refreshing you get some solace out of sort of being taken on that journey with him yeah it's 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 almost like a therapy session that you're sort of both both listening to but also taking part in in a really unique way which I I just I just don't think there's other films that I mean yeah I I don't think I can think of another film quite like it um, in, in 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 its ability to do both of those things simultaneously that's a yeah that's a beautiful way to put it and I think any film that can manage that balance of of allowing you to engage but allowing you to disengage is really is really special and also the the openness um I think yeah a lot of films are really aimed toward having you understand them 
in a way that is very specific and you have to follow these steps and these directions of how to engage with it and, and you're supposed to add up the pieces and everyone comes to the same outcome and you know with a film like this it's like if you asked you know a hundred people to write like a personal essay based on their experience none of them would look remotely similar yeah i'm sure you know yeah, and i think that's a sign of a really powerful piece of work is that it allows you space to put yourself into that position um, while also giving you all the information you need to understand it, but you're not necessarily going to have the same, same experience as someone else. And there's, I, I, yeah, I always appreciate work that is self-aware enough to do that. Yeah, that's lots to think about <laughs> with this film. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's so great. And as, as I say, I'm, I'm so glad that that I get to specifically talk about it with you because it's it's a film that I sort of have mentioned on this podcast a few times um and it, it, Isabel said that like when she was in the Philippines she found a book that was um I think I, as far as I know it's 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 just the it's the it's the the script of the film that just is a book form that she'd read um which was like one of her first interactions with with British film and, and talks to a few other people about Jarman's films. I mean, I'm always going to mention them because they're some of my favorite. My well, they he he is my my favorite director, I think, and I, and his films mean a great deal to me. So yeah, it's it's so wonderful to be able to talk about about this film. Yeah, I, I suppose the other thing I was I could I would like to ask you is like your relationship with British cinema more broadly. I mean, we've, we've talked about Terence Davis, but there, are there other mm. British films that you're particularly interested in? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I mean, it's funny because I think British film is the one, it's the one cultural cinema that blends itself into American cinema quite seamlessly. And uh, so I think I don't even really categorize it separately. Um, in my mind, like when obviously when you're watching uh, things like the Oscars, they really they really just are entangled in a way that other country cinema is not. Um, so it's funny because it's not yeah it's not something that immediately comes to mind like that's British cinema and that's American cinema and that's Canadian cinema. Um, yeah, I'm trying to yeah I don't know what even I mean yeah Terence Davies is is the, is the filmmaker that comes to mind most immediately for me. But I also I have notoriously terrible recall of, <laughs> of films. It's interesting because, like, my my relationship with British cinema in in sort of writing writing about it and 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 doing and doing this podcast is like very much grounded in I wanted to study the history of Britain in the 20th century, and I love films, so it's sort of merging the two together. So. Yeah, I suppose mm -hmm. it is grounded in like specifically British experience in that sense for me. Um, and and the main reason of doing this is that that I know that there's an awful lot of films out there that perhaps people haven't seen or are waiting to be restored. I mean, Jarman's films are were famously hard to find until the BFI re restored them all and put them on Blu-ray a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 like it's for me it's partly about like finding the women and the queer people <laughs> in that history of cinema and 
and finding a way to sort of talk about them and celebrate them, which, which I mean, obviously that's the, the case in American cinema and, and as well. But I suppose what distinguishes them is that actually that more people are doing that. More people are sort of bringing those, those female um, create, uh, creatives out of the archives, whereas in Britain it's perhaps perhaps a bit, we've got a bit further to go perhaps, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that, that that's that's why I ask because it's it's it yeah. just interests me. Um, I mean, those those films that I I, I sent you um, as a suggestion for what we could talk about, Jill, uh, Jill Craigie's films. Those are those those are films that I came across when I was doing my undergraduate research um, in the mm-hmm. archives, and I was like, oh my god, there's this there's this woman who's making films <laughs> at this time in Britain and and no one has no one's ever told me about her why why has no one ever heard of her and yeah it's mm. it's really it's quite sinister then like reading letters from her to various exec male producers and executives and they were like yeah maybe 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 one day you can direct a film we're gonna stick with our like usual guys for now um yeah it's 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 like you can see you can almost see how these people get pushed to the side so oh totally i i I think in the case of, of of jarman it's like um i don't know i don't know if it's because it was a a time in history where that was really like part of the zeitgeist or what it was that like means that mm-hmm. Jarman is someone who is internationally known and recognized as as specifically as as a as a, as a gay filmmaker I think um whereas there aren't there aren't that many others <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, yeah it's it's interesting mm. no it's I mean I think it's it's good to to break down those um break those things down and and try to find <laughs> how history has been favored toward uh, the obvious. And I think as a Canadian <laughs> filmmaker and a Canadian um, person engaging with, with film, I don't even consider my own country very often as a pr- prominent figure within the global conversation of film. So we have such a lackluster identity. Um, there's really not, you know, I think it's almost interesting. Yeah, it's interesting in a way, because I think that in terms of international awareness of Canadian cinema, like it is notable that like perhaps the most well-known Canadian filmmaker is a gay filmmaker who's made a lot of gay films. I mean, uh, talking about Xavier Dolan and and his films Mm -hmm. and how they're Mm -hmm. sort of appreciated worldwide. I think that's, that's maybe quite, unique we really only have a handful of filmmakers anyone's ever heard of and we're you know quite a large country yeah Um, it's it's interesting that it's just taken such a long time to really um have canadian film play any any role in the in the stage of global film or cinema or to have its own you know i think every country really has a a strong presence in its own in its own cinema um and I think Canadian, you know, obviously we have like David Cronenberg is, is also a, a massive of figure, course. but he's so, he's so specific. Um, and then we have filmmakers that have 
many of them have uh, have become like naturalized uh, American citizens uh, through their whenever someone becomes quite famous the joke is that they become American so right yeah like James Cameron for example is a right. Canadian but you would never yeah. associate him with being Canadian or obviously yeah. like because celebrity- his his films aren't like made in Canada and and sort of you know I think I think I think what what makes a film you know British or American or Canadian is it does often come from sort of where it's made and and the landscape yeah. of that film and yeah I, yeah I've thought about this a lot in terms of Canadian Canadian film is like what makes a film Canadian because I think part of the issue is that Canada doesn't have a, a very strong cultural identity mm. um as a you know as a country and I think what we do have as a as a country um that would be interesting is is our indigenous culture that it you know and those those stories are just so rarely told and and so rarely given uh the means to be told but that's where we could probably have a very interesting and diverse cinema but it's just you know um it's just not been at the forefront i think that the only thing that i can think of that canada is maybe maybe was known for a little bit was documentary and uh animation early sort of 80s uh nfb was like our 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 chance our chance to be known and i think you know the the nfb has has produced a lot of really interesting and, and very um unique work but it's I think we just struggle with this sort of identity crisis of being um, under the shadow of the U.S. And I think a lot of Canadians, unfortunately, really strive to make American film, but without right. the American means mm-hmm. and uh, celebrity power that is, you know, at the forefront of, of their cinema. Um, even American independent film looks and feels different because a small budget in Canada compared to a small budget in the U.S. is generally just not comparable. Like most, like the, you know, Canada does, it does have a artistic granting system, but most films, like the most you're going to get is like a hundred thousand dollars. That's for a feature film. And like, yeah. I don't know how many <laughs> narrative feature films in the U.S. that are widely distributed are made for that little money. Yeah. You know, yeah, so. it's interesting. I mean, I think of something like Blue as coming from a very specific sort of British film funding, which is like coming mm-hmm. from sort of Ch- Channel 4 and, and the BBC, which do, you know, they, 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 they are more likely to put money behind a project like this. Whereas like, I just can't imagine it being made in America um, because it would just, you know, it's so niche and esoteric that it just wouldn't it wouldn't have that that same level of appeal I suppose um also yeah as as you say I mean obviously we've we've said that you don't need to give it your full attention for the entire runtime but there is a degree of attention you have to be willing to give to a film like this um and I I I suppose you know the fact that it's it wasn't cinematically released when it first came out it was it was done um, on television and on radio just sort of shows that funding for projects like this is just more likely to come from from television funding than it is perhaps from like a more major film studio 
Yeah. And I think of American cinema, so much of it's run off of uh, private, private funding and mm-hmm. equity and, and all these, all these things that are just very unknown to Canadian filmmaking mm-hmm. and maybe even British. I think British probably has a, has it longer or a, a more robust um, system similar to the American system. But I think Canadian films are often co-produced if they're going to be quite large. But I could see something like Blue being actually it's kind of more more in line with a Indian film than, than it is American. Mm. I could see it produced yeah. by the NFB because they were really interested in supporting the conversation of what like what is a cultural cinema or like a you know a country's cinema like what makes it that way. And it's very, very apparent for some countries and very and much less so for some. And, it comes from like a sort of lack of identity and obviously we're all inundated with like an American identity through their filmmaking. Right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're right. It does. It's a good film for springboarding into all kinds of other conversations because it really it challenges, challenges you. Mm. Um, yeah. And, that, and as you say, your brain just goes in, so many different directions while watching it it's um yeah I think I think it's definitely a film worth revisiting um at different times of life and times of you know I think I think it's just a good film sometimes to have to listen to or watch Mm -hmm. if you need like 75 minutes of of calm or to sort of Mm -hmm. just meditate um yeah, I, I, I definitely would recommend it to, to anyone to seek out. I mean, I, I how, how how available was it was it for you? Um, Actually, on YouTube finding... right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's so very yeah, available. It, it is just on there. Yeah. Um, for now. And as and as I said before, it's it's also uh, it's also on Blu-ray. I mean, it was. It, I think I think I think in terms of Jarman's films, it's one of the ones that that's been sort of more available than 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 some of the others um possibly because it is just such a unique film that people are at least aware of its existence i don't think some people seem to just think it's a blue screen they don't seem to think that there's there's a lot else going on um i remember my my mum first telling me about it that she saw it when it was um my, my my grandmother watching it or something and she said she was just sat staring at a blue screen. <laughs> I was like, I don't think she was. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, it's yeah. interesting. <laughs> oh, it's a it's a terrible pun, but I definitely feel like it's kind of the definition of a moving image. <laughs> so, you know, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's that seems like an excellent <laughs> note for us to sort of um, wrap up. It's such a a pleasure to to engage with you on this because I, I I knew I knew coming into it that it was a film that was important to you and and mm. a filmmaker that was important to you so that made the conversation much more rich I think um, yeah. having had have, me having less context of, of his work um, so I appreciate you bringing that to the conversation oh. and inviting thank me you. to it yeah no thank you so much and you know it's yeah, it's a great honor to be able to talk to you. Um, I've been wanting to talk to you for for, for a long time. Um, yeah, so that, that's been really, really lovely. Thank you so much for, for agreeing to do this. 
If you've got an idea for an article or a podcast, you can contact me via Twitter. My handle is at Lil Croft with three L's in Lil, which is where I'll be posting about new writing and episodes. Do also get in touch if you fancy appearing as a guest and have a film you'd love to discuss with me. The Listen to Lillian podcast is available via the blog and all the usual channels, including Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts, so don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. All that remains for me to say is thank you for listening and toodle pip!